to After Hours, an interview podcast series from Lady. I'm Laura McClaus-Helms, a fashion and cultural historian. Recently, I had the opportunity to chat with famed photographer Robert Farber in his Upper East Side studio. Rising to prominence as a nude and fashion photographer in the mid to late 1970s, by the time I was a child in the late 1980s, posters of his photos were everywhere and are to me a defining memory of that time. Robert developed his signature soft-focus aesthetic in the early 1970s by experimenting with different films, filters, and development processes with the goal of creating a painterly effect on film. With an innovative approach that produced atmospheric images tinged with nostalgia, by 1976, Farber's career was launched. That year, a book of photographic news was published at the same time that he launched a successful career shooting editorials and ads. Some of my personal favorites, and part of the reason I reached out to him, are the photos he took for Viva magazine during this period. His fine art and commercial careers grew in tandem, enhancing and building off each other. Farber published many more books over the following years. Some fine art that focused on nudes, or atmospheric and moody images of places, and others that taught about the commercial photography business. As you'll hear in this interview, Robert is full of stories about his many projects from the month-long catalog shoots to photo shoots for TV movie ads to his shift into commercials and movie work. Though the big Hollywood movie that first drew him to move to LA never happened, he worked on a number of other projects, including a film for romance novel Hunk Pavio, which I've included in the accompanying story on our website. Please go check it out. We also discuss his early interest in the internet, which led him to launch a photography education website in 1995, as well as his long affiliation with breast cancer charities. In the last few years, Robert's work has begun to explore new aspects of photography through his deterioration series and wet series. While all the images in these series have at first glance the appearance of digital manipulation, they're in fact the result of misfortune, now reinterpreted as art. Currently, he is at work planning a 50-year retrospective of his photographs. A must-listen if you're interested in photography, Robert opens up about the many aspects of his career, as well as the sometimes difficulty of being a nude photographer in this culture. He recently got banned from Instagram, as you'll hear. After you've finished listening, I highly recommend heading to our website, www.ladyworld.tv, to look through a slideshow of his photographs, including all of the individual ones that we discuss. A lovely and talented man. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I did having it. Thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me today. Oh, I look forward to it. After hearing some of your podcasts, I thought it was quite interesting, and the way you handle it is beautiful. Thank you. Should I tell you where my life started? <laughs> well, I will, uh, because it's a, it really helped, it helped formulate the way I wanted to go or what I wanted to do without knowing it. Because when I was growing up, I grew up in a, a family of um, a very supportive and positive mother who gave me the feelings of that I could do you know whatever I wanted to do and mm-hmm. really a positive attitude and um, and a father who wasn't so much like that okay. uh, but we were all very close and a great family with um, with an older brother and my brother was always a good athlete mm-hmm. and uh, whether it was a swimming team or a high diving board or whatever he was a good athlete and I wasn't so my father used to say can't you throw a ball like your like your brother? And so I kind of lived with that type of thing. And I had a father who was in a way frustrated that he never did what he really wanted to. Uh, he always wanted to be something with entertainment. Um, I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, and and uh, and my mother was used to like to paint, and she had oil paints around the house and. Uh, 
so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I was always into art, more creative type of things. So I, and my, it's funny, my brother had a dark room in his, uh, in the basement. And I used to say to myself, oh, how boring to do that. But I had a little room that was my little design center, because I was into painting and design and art. So I used to paint with the oils and everything. So when it came time to go to school, uh, to go off to school, you know, they wanted me to go to school. I wanted to go to school for art, design, or whatever. Photography wasn't an interest to me at all, especially after seeing my brother kind of um, doing something boring with the dark room. Um, so uh, I, I, they, they didn't want me to go. To, they wanted me to go to law school, doctor, whatever it's going to be. But of course, not a, not a art school. And and I graduated high school. It was um, nineteen sixty two. So. I wound up going to school for liberal arts, and I went to the University of Miami. And you'd grown up in New I, Jersey? I grew up in New Jersey, mm-hmm. in Maplewood, South Orange, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my father was, had a, a successful business that he inherited, that he uh, it was partners with his brothers in the beer, wholesale beer, importing, distributing business, but it started off years ago before that, 50 years before that. Uh, with his family, and they made everything from seltzer, mm-hmm. and seltzer in the homes that you know that days were big, and and soda. But then they got into the beer business, and and it grew like that. But it wasn't something my father wanted to do. But it's something he did, and that's all he knew to work. You work as a, you know, doing what you make money at, not what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to do what I enjoyed, but I didn't know what I wanted to do to enjoy. I, um, so when I went to school, I remember one day I'm walking on the beach in, in Miami, and uh, and I see this woman sitting there, and this was, don't forget, her early 60s, so she's sitting there in a string bikini. Nobody ever saw a string bikini in those days. And she's sitting there knitting, and she weighed about 400 pounds. Oh, wow. So I said, oh, I wish I had a camera. And I just thought of it like that, and and so it stuck in my mind. And so when I left school, not graduating, when I quit school, and I left, um, it stayed in my mind that I wanted to do something creative. And I wound up picking up a camera and, uh, and making. I bought a Petri thirty-five millimeter camera. And I mentioned Petri, but nobody ever heard about it. When I do a lecture, I talk about it, but it's just so obscure and so forth. But it was the thing that really got me going. And I didn't know anything technically, so I used to make mistakes with the film and the grain and the colors and everything. And, and the film and the speeds of the film and taking daylight film and using it in, in a house with a lamp. It used to, of course, I didn't know about Kelvin temperature, but I learned it. And the warmth of that created a very grainy and warm tone. And I started looking at it and said, geez, these photographs are starting to look like paintings. So they started satisfying me Hmm. in another way as far as, um, well, this is what I wanted to get out of my art. And because they did, I started really getting into it and driven by it. And and I went out and bought uh, books or um, at the library or bought books or whatever, I looked through whatever I could. Of course, there was no internet. 
and I wanted to see things that really turned me on, like classic paintings. And I saw from uh, the classic paintings two type of things that really inspired me, and one was the directional light of the Flemish Dutch painters, mm -hmm. and, and whether it was Vermeer or Rembrandt or whatever, and then the softness and the pastel colors of the impressionistic painters, and playing with the grain in the film, it was really a great way, you know, to really um, show my work. And keep in mind that um, this is something for the first time creatively I doing something. When I was first starting, going back, um, my father wanted me to go into his business, of course, but I didn't So like when to. you left University of Miami, your dad? Yeah, I went, mm -hmm, I, went back to I went back home. Mm -hmm. And I started working for him. And I remember, like, um, when I had a camera, uh, I didn't know what I wanted. I wanted to do something creative. But I had a camera, so I wound up going around Newark, where his business was, and taking pictures. I remember in 1967 with the, the race riots mm -hmm. in Newark and Detroit, I wanted to be even taking photojournalistic pictures of troops and tanks in the street and everything else, which I came across just recently, some of those photographs, which is so unlike me. But there I was kind of in a, seemed like a, almost a war zone, but it wasn't my type of photographs. So it was um, quite interesting um, looking at that, but, but experimenting with the film and the color and everything else, I wound up taking some of these photographs and um, bringing them, uh, well, I didn't know what to do with them, but I put some in frames. I remember one time taking them into New York in frames and showing them to one of the big photography magazines at the time, it was popular photography or whatever, mm -hmm. and bringing a couple of framed pictures and all that. I, I didn't know, uh, you know, this was in the late 60s. and. It, and uh, and this, I remember this uh, editor looking at him, and she said, "What's so special about these?" Hmm. Well, I'm mentioning this because cut to a good many years later, she didn't know it, but I still knew who she was, and I never told her I was ever in there. And she used to try to get me to be a, do a portfolio in a magazine or do something for them or show my work and I remember her, I remember her name and she doesn't remember me from that, but I remember clearly saying it, I'm seeing how the worm turned kind of thing. So um, so interesting to look back at it like that. But coming back to those days, so here I am uh, working uh, for my father and I remember what I used to try to do in the beer business I used to say, I'm going to see one of your liquor stores or bars, and, and I used to try to go into the Jersey City area or that area near near the, the Hudson, so I could quickly do what he thought I was doing, and then run into New York and do whatever I could to try to get into photography. And what and were you shooting at that point in time? Do you remember what... What were you photographing? My subjects? Yeah. Oh, I was... Uh, anything that had a very painterly look. Mm -hmm. Because I used to look through those books of the Flemish yeah. and Dutch painters uh, and the impressionistic painters, and, and I would uh, try different things and that were reminiscent of... A lot of them were still lives. I remember 
taking uh, little things I would find, little, creating little vignettes of, um, of as if there was a little picnic scene with nobody there by a creek, by something in the country and make it look very painterly looking. I, I found an old convent in New Jersey and went in there where there some nuns and, and, and I asked if I could take their portrait and I did it with uh, really great lighting and everything and they looked like, really looked like paintings and also some landscapes, all these uh, just different setups that were, that I absolutely loved uh, doing. It was just such a turn on for me. And when I could do it in an environment, I would put on a music with classical music and listen to the classical music. And then there's a movie that came out, Elvira um, Madigan, mm -hmm. great Swedish film, you know, with Mozart's piano concerto, uh, 21 playing and, uh, and that kind of music and the beautiful, you know, and to some people it was boring, but I thought it was, and it was kind of like my photography that I was doing. Because when I went into this, um, the city, I went to as many places I could possibly go. I wound up even getting some small assignments, even locally. I remember I bought a wide-angle lens and I went into a local Bloomingdale's. It was at a wide-angle lens. I thought maybe I'd be an interior photographer. And I actually got hired to do some interiors. <laughs> uh, I also got in touch with the, uh, the Alvin Alley dancers and they let me come in and do some press photographs during a performance. So I had all these pictures of dancers. So I had a combination of everything, stillized landscapes, that, and then, and then I asked a friend about uh, doing some nudes. And I did some nudes and it looked very painterly looking and all, but I only did a few nudes, everything else was stillized landscapes and anything else that would aesthetically turn me on. And, uh, and I wasn't into taking uh, pictures of women or girls. Um, that wasn't my thing. It just kind of evolved uh, as time went on, and you'll see how it evolved. Because I started going into some outdoor art shows, like I went into the the outdoor art show in uh, in Washington Square, it, it, the famous Greenwich Village show. It's been on for years, mm -hmm. the uh, Washington Square show, whatever it's called. It's still on now, and and this was um, and I, and I, a woman comes up to me and said, are these paintings or are these photographs? Um, and I said, these are photographs. And I was flattered that she asked me that. Then she introduced herself. She said, I'm the director of the show. I even remember her name, it was like Susan Sumners or something. She was the director of the show. This was around 19, very, very beginning of the 70s. And, and she said, um, I really, these, I really like, uh, I really like these. However, we don't allow photography, and you'll have to leave. <laughs> I, and so they didn't recognize photography. I had to leave the show, and there was a guy next to me making candlesticks, another one with brass buckles and putting holes in the leather or whatever, and I had to pack up and leave. It was actually, um, I believe it was like within the next two weeks after that, there was another show in the city, and it was the first year that Carl Shirts Park by Gracie Mansion, mm -hmm. I ran an outdoor art show, but I went into that show. And in that show, I made so many contacts and they loved it and I got a blue ribbon, but more importantly, I, had, I got approached by somebody because of, I had a couple of nudes in there. And he said, boy, these nudes are really nice. And I said, I'm a, a, a publicist for one of the big publishers and um, 
and they would like, um, they would love this, the editor. And that led to my first book contract of my book, Images of Woman, a book of nudes mm -hmm. that came out. And after, and then uh, from that same show, another person, her name was Donna Downs, and she was working for one of the big ad agencies. And she said, I'm doing a national ad for, um, for Cotton Incorporated, a fashion ad. She said, I love this still life. I had an interior still life, Theo uh, Rousseau studio in Barbizon, France. And that, that one's from, in Moods, isn't it? it? That is, you're yeah. right. That is in a Moods That's beautiful. Which, I remember it because oh, it's really okay. beautiful. Yeah. Well, she saw that and she said, if you could put a model into, now here, here's these things happening with women or, you know, with, if you could put a model in that situation, I'll give you uh, a national ad for Cotton Incorporated because we want that kind of mood and that kind of feeling, which um, similar to that. And, and, and if, with that, I wound up to cut, you know, cut to this. I wound up being a fashion photographer. So, Have you but, ever thought about shooting fashion or anything? No, like no, no, that? no. I shot, you know, shot whatever I was fashion, but whatever was in front of me, mm -hmm. like the uh, Bloomingdale's in New Jersey, asked me to do interiors, which had a wide-angle lens, and I said maybe I could do this. So I wound up, um, yeah, I wound up uh, becoming a fashion photographer because of that. And at the same show. Also, some other things happened, a little more obscure, so I don't talk about it much, even in lectures or whatever. But things that were really effective to me, as an example, um, uh, Bob Guccione's sister mm -hmm. really liked my things. And, um, and she said, oh, you have to, uh, you know, they would really love your... your Is that how your, you end up with Viva? That's how I wound up. To, that's how I wound up with Viva in uh, later on. Later yeah, on. a little bit later on, because of that, and because of um, Joe Brooks, who was a creative director for it, with him in London, and then when they opened Penthouse mm -hmm. here, and also uh, Rowan Johnson, who was a creative director with Viva, and Rowan, uh, Rowan from South Africa, who's really um, very. Uh, very talented because he used to, uh, and before him was Art Kane, who I wound up knowing uh, because we went to Australia together for a lecture. I've known him over the years. Later on, not when he was uh, the first creative director, but Rowan took over from him. And it was just really a matter of, um, uh, he, he just, I told him what I wanted to do. He just used people as creative as they want to be, no restrictions, whatever. So, but before I get into that, the, um, so, uh, but I also met uh, Dr. Santos, his name was. He was, a, he was a doctor, but he was a dentist, but he owned a very famous landmark restaurant in New York called The Sign of the Dove. And The Sign of the Dove was a landmark restaurant, and I don't know why it was ever torn down, because it was that, uh, it was on 63, 66 and 3rd and right now there's a Pier 1 or a high-rise building and it was a classic old coach house on the Boston Post Road which was 3rd oh. Avenue where the coaches used to stop going to Boston on 3rd Avenue that's what it was and it was turned into an elegant beautiful restaurant and he said I'd love you to photograph these painterly looking still lives of our, my restaurant interior and I did 
and all this was so pleasing to me. So here I was, as far as news, women doing still lives, getting assignments immediately. I mean, that sounds like that one show was just, like, changed the course of your life, kind of. Yeah, it, it was amazing. After getting yeah, kicked out of, you know, Greenwich Village. Right. So, um, so I, now I'm, yeah, so here I am, you know, not assisting, but falling into this business. How do I do this or whatever? Here I am, a fashion photographer, how to book a model, how, whatever. Uh, what's, you know, what's this about? I need a stylist, what's a stylist, you know? Um, What's a model? <laughs> uh, so, so I wound up, you know, things just evolving in a different and strange way. So the interesting thing is I never assisted, and my career grew up. Um, and by the way, a little side note personally, here I was finally, finally, after my father telling me, you want to throw a ball like your brother. Here I am being get some recognition as somebody saying, oh, you're doing something nice, mm-hmm. you know, so that was a good enough satisfaction. So then it was getting to the point that I said, I guess I have to do this full time. And, um, and that's, and I became a, a fashion photographer and a fine art photographer at the same time, not assisting. And I started off big. I started right away getting GQ and Esquire and all these men's mag, um, when I said men's mag, I, you know, these books coming out and then um, the Playboy asked me to do something and then I said, wait, I can't, I have to be careful with what I'm doing because this book of fine art nudes is just released and it's a book of really fine art nudes and, uh, and I don't want to do some of these magazines. Then, of course, out of the blue, in, oh, I wanted to, so when I wound up, one of the places I wound up going, looking, when I used to sneak in from New Jersey and go across, and I found a studio on 32nd Street that was a beautiful studio that looked like some kind of pied-de-terre, French-looking thing on, on the roof of the back of, a, of an established fashion photographer who was getting older and there and Ed Fizzemeyer, I remember he was, uh, um, he actually was assisting uh, Horst, mm-hmm. Horst P. Horst when he was younger or um, another classic, it, which wound up in later years, I became friendly with Horst, not to do with him that I got involved with, with um, uh, Horst and then his adopted son Richard Horst, which is a whole other, you have to interview Richard, uh, anyway, and I became really close with them, but from uh, Ed Fismeyer, uh he was doing a lot of, um, uh, well, beauty products and so forth, and, and, but what he had is he had a great little charming studio, and it was like a penthouse studio, and the back of this European-looking studio with the big slanted windows was a roof, but on the roof he had a greenhouse, so I uh, wound up renting the back of that from him, and that was my studio, this big greenhouse on the back. It used to be freezing in the winter and hot in the summer. You could imagine I was yeah. in a hothouse or whatever it was. But it must have had amazing light. Oh, but it had great light, and I, I've shot many things from there. And in the beginning, I remember I shot Playtex, I shot magazine things. I, 
saw a lot of beauty things. I remember the people that came in and I started meeting models and I remember I remember I was starting at the same time with Janice Dickinson. So uh, she used to come to the studio and she was trying to make it. She was with Wilhelmina. And I still have her, I think it had eight by 10 glossy that she, she gave me and she wasn't getting anywhere with it. And she said she was gonna go off to Europe. And so she did, she went off to Europe and she went when the uh, Native American look mm -hmm. became popular. So they started using her a lot and she became a really big hit. And, um, and, and I shot with her before she went, but then I wound up working with her you know, many times mm -hmm. after that when she came, uh, came back. So she was starting off at the same time as, as me that way. And it was kind of nice because I was, what you say, I was learning while I was, or I was earning while I was learning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so my book, The uh, Images of Women book, which came out then uh, did pretty well for um, a book of nudes. And not many people had photography books at the time. You know, there was, I think Avedon might have had his first book out at, at that time. There was a few, you know, a few, but uh, so I was really fortunate with that. Uh, and the book did okay, but then when they asked me to do another book, which I was doing the fashion, I said, well, what am I gonna do on a book of fashion? I'm just, you know, and I said, you know what I'll do? I'll do it as, create a portfolio of my things, but I'll do a book that's kind of the missing, uh, the missing book that would interest more of the general audience. Because when I started, remember I didn't assist, I didn't know anything yeah. in the business, um, tell everybody what a stylist is, how much a model gets paid, how do you put it together, how do you put a shooting together, what it is. And then the book on fashion photography came out the first book. And, it came out in 1978, mm -hmm. and it did really great. And and I got asked to be on the Today Show with it, and I, I remember with all these things, and the movie, I think, was it was at the time, The Eyes of Laura Mars yeah. uh, right came out, then, yeah. and and Columbia Pictures, which is so many pictures out, Columbia asked if they could do a uh, promotion with my book, <laughs> because we'd like you to travel around the U.S., you know, promoting the movie with, um, uh, the, the models that were in in the movie, um, so, and I remember Faye Dunaway was in it, but she wasn't, right? Wasn't Faye Dunaway? Yeah, it's Faye yeah. Dunaway. Yeah. But she wasn't. It was um, Darlene Flugel, and it was. Uh, um, yeah, the models that are yeah well, that she's photographing. Yeah. You're right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we did this whole tour, and I went all over the country with them doing it. So all this different press, all these things, and all these, uh, it was a great promotion for me. So, so here I am, uh, starting a career with books of fine art news, at the same time, a commercial photographer doing fashion and beauty, and at the same time doing these, all these other things, but, and my career grew up parallel to each other, feeding off each other, where the commercial work, the beauty, or that resulted in, ads for beauty products. I was doing Revlon and all of Almay and all, all these different beauty products and, and Pond, uh, Pond Skin Cream and Caress Soap and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, covering them all and I just was really busy like this doing all of these things. Um, so I, I moved my studio from the hothouse, <laughs> which was really great and, um, and to uh, a small street on 58th Street between 2nd and 3rd. 
And I, uh, and in the beginning also, I, um, at this point, when I first started my photography, uh, I was married, and I got married first in 1969, and I got married to a, a beautiful girl, and she was great muse for me. I took a lot of pictures of her. She even she wasn't a model, but she got called into some Revlon because of uh, with the pictures I had of her. And then she even got two callbacks for a Revlon commercial. I'm beautiful thing. And my son was, oh, he was three at the time. You know, uh, uh, and it, and it, it was really uh, three at what time? Uh, when I became a photographer oh, okay. full time. Yeah, I was uh, three years old, and here I am going into something unknown, going from, you know, just freelance. Mm -hmm. So I've never made a salary since the old days when my father gave yeah. me. I might have been $100 a week, I'm not sure. Yeah, but I was in an area, was right around the corner from Willoughby's uh, store, and who was the other camera store right next to that. All the camera stores were right there. It was about near Herald Square. Uh, well, that was in 32nd, but then I moved to 58th, and I was on 58th between um, 2nd and 3rd, and I had a great little pied-de-terre type of thing with a, a marble fireplace, just exactly like that one, and, and, and it was a great little studio. Before, before that, even Esquire magazine hired me to do the men's collection in Paris, and here I am just all, you know, learning or just meeting people, and I get thrown into this thing, and I go to Paris to do this. We did these great shootings. They put me up to the George Saint Hotel, and having, even though we were shooting men, we had a lot of women models, everything else, and, and they used to, you know, come for um, castings at the, at the hotel, and, and my neighbor down the hallway was some um, Arab sheik who had a bodyguard in front of him and all the girls. They said, I just got offered more money than you're gonna pay me if I go into their room instead of this room. And, um, and it was really great. And, then, and I remember Regine um, at, at the time was very hot in her, her clubs, night club, yeah. Yeah, her nightclubs and, and in Paris. And, and she sends me a, a note um, at, at the hotel to meet, uh, join her for dinner. With that. So I'm thrown into this whole fast life pace and everything else. In the meantime, I, I get back home, and my first wife was in the hospital, wound up in the hospital for three weeks. Um, I'm kind of jumping around. Uh, anyway, but I, um, she wound up being fine, and, uh, and, you know, and here I was, ran, you know, going around the world um, on these shootings and done it, you know, and it was so difficult because I had a, uh, I wanted to just be in New York and, you know, and that's where my life was and everything else. And, and you kind of, uh, you grow, people grow apart for different reasons, you know, so you wind up getting involved uh, in a different world and a different thing. And, and uh, uh, so I don't want to get too much into that thing. I'll do it in my book, Memoirs of a Nude Photographer. <laughs> uh, However, uh, so, so I wound up um, really getting involved in more into the fashion 
then the fine art, but then a book would come out, and I'd get involved more in the fine art and the fashion. But they really fed off each other beautifully, and it really worked out. It worked out so nicely. Then I wound up being asked to do a poster of my work. It's around 1980. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to do two posters. So one I did was a poster of a nude called Curves, and the other was a picture of Iris's um, flower thing. It was Bruce McGaw Graphics, I believe, and the posters did great, those two posters. Well, to make a long story short, I wound up in the 80s doing 73 posters that were distributed and published worldwide. And I thought that was great, but it wasn't great because it hurt my fine art career, or what I didn't know was a fine art career, because it was more decorative art. Mm -hmm. But they became so huge, I even, I remember, I. I I went in the 80s uh, to uh, Frankfurt to the book fair. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so I went to the book fair in Frankfurt and, and someone invites me to go to a, um, a cocktail party in one of the, the bars. I wouldn't call it a cocktail party, I call it a beer party, I guess. And we go, go there and it was for Verkirka, who is a big um, uh, publisher of, uh, from the Netherlands. It was only actually owned by Montadori Press. And I go there and they said, <clears throat> we'd love you to come see us tomorrow. And I did, and I walked out of there with a major, huge check from them um, to publish 20 more posters and greeting cards with them in Europe and bring them into the United States also. Excuse me. <clears throat> well, I mean, I, you know... I think that those posters were definitely probably my introduction to your work, you know, before I knew your oh, name, yeah. but as a child, I definitely, you know, I know I saw them. Oh, it's so weird with the poster market because, you know, with books, you're in the bookstores and, you know, you're there for the first run of it. If they sell well, you're there a little longer, so you're there maybe six months to a year in the bookstores for your books until, like, new ones come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, and all they see is the spine, or if they did a display. I remember with my fashion photography book, uh, the big Daltons on Fifth Avenue had the whole window full of the fashion photography. I was really lucky with that. And, and with the other fashion book, we had this big party. There was Fiorucci's, which was mm -hmm. a famous place on 59th Street. And it had all these things. There were celebrities and, and, um, and all these Studio 54 people that I knew. Disco Sally, Roll Arena, all these classic people from from Studio Fifty Four. We um, and we had this party of Fiorucci's for the other uh, book thing. So I wound up in all this fast pace of the fashion photography models and all. And I was still young, even uh, even at the time with my fashion. Um, I I got asked around it was in nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine. Uh, from Bloomingdale's, and Bloomingdale's was great because Bloomingdale's was doing all editorial, like really slick kind of editorial ads. I wasn't doing any catalogs for them, mm -hmm. but I got asked to do some ads for them. And it's funny because when I was doing the ads for them, they did one catalog, and it was a catalog, a very special catalog that Guy Bourdain did. Oh yeah, the size and whispers. Yeah. Right, right. You remember? Well, that's what you. That's your business. <laughs> <laughs> so he did that, but I was exclusively doing all their ads for the magazines and the newspaper. And I remember on the first campaign or the first thing, the first day that I shot for them, 
it was Patty Hansen's birthday, and um, and it was Patty Hansen and uh, Sean Casey and Abalonia and uh, um, uh, Clotil, who was a Ralph Lauren girl mm-hmm. at the time, and uh, pardon me if I'm leaving. Yes, I forgot who I'm leaving out of it. Um, and I wound up uh, doing these pictures for him, and I, I figured, geez, I put my light rays in, I did the other thing, I put everything in, it kind of had a very, they were all, uh, all of them were black and white, but they all had a very painterly look, and they were, you know, and today I use my classic fashion for, you know, in the galleries, because I always tried to tell a story, I always tried to shoot it as if I'm doing something for myself, not for a client. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing that I've always learned and when I've taught workshops or um, do a lecture or I'm teaching students that I'm just supposed to get hired commercially, don't change the style of why you were, you know, uh, got the job originally. Yeah. You just stick to your own style and build up that and that's your signature and bring, bring it to them this way. And of course I had resistance over the years from different clients. He said, oh, no, don't do it like I do it like this. So I'll do it like the way they want, and then I shoot it the way I want. And I, I don't want to say it like this, but 99% of the time they wound up taking it the way I want unless it was a client that I didn't want to work for anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, with Bloomingdale's, it was great because we were, remember I said has, uh, I had a studio on 58th mm-hmm. between 2nd and 3rd. Bloomingdale's was on 59th and yeah. 3rd. How convenient. I never knew that was going to happen that way. But so I wound up doing... Bloomingdale's, a lot of Bloomingdale's. Uh, Raina, she was great creative director. Michelle Bontempo is the one who originally took me into it. And I want to mention Zane for, you know, it, because they were really responsible for believing in what I did. But even earlier on, before, in the very beginning, uh, earlier on, when I was on my studio, oh, because I, I moved, well, I moved my studio after that, but the studio on 32nd, was right by Gimbel's mm-hmm. across the street from Macy's. And for the people that don't remember Gimbel's, a Christmas song with Natalie, uh, when, oh, when uh, Santa Claus. Miracle uh, on 34th Mir- Street. Exactly, Miracle on 34th Street, when the uh, Santa Claus tells her, yeah, go, go across the street to Gimbel's, you know. Uh, so I wound up doing a lot of things for Gimbel's with that creative director and Barbara Kaplan, <clears throat> and she had an assistant named Tom Smallwood. And uh, Tom Smallwood later became a really close friend of mine, and he wound up hiring me. He, um, he did all, for, he became a creative director for Marshall Fields, and we went to France together. Before that, he was doing it for Jordan Marsh, and we did things all, all over the, the world together, but I didn't want to do any more any more department stores or that. It was like, it was too much work <laughs> in a way. Bloomingdale's was great in that sense. But Saks Fifth Avenue was too, because then I got asked to do Saks. But when I got asked to do Saks, it was like, um, they did the folios then and they were so famous and they, you know. Uh, and so for Saks, I started doing these folios and then um, uh, nonstop work for a number of years with Leonard Restivo and Debbie Milbreath and, and all these people, then later on in their advertising with Gary Lowe and all. It was just, it, it was great because with Saks, we used to go on trips that were unbelievable because 
everybody, uh, for example, if, they, if we're doing a folio, uh, it goes to millions of high-end homes around America, and we use, you know, uh, really top models and go to the test resorts, and, and everything is first class, and they want you to do it because the resorts want to be promoted, you know, in mm-hmm. their things. So you used to get treated so great. I remember going to Morocco for, them, for La Mamonia, a hotel, and people usually go there for a long weekend or maybe for a week, but we're there for almost a month and a half. Wow. And so we're shooting with different, you know, all the big models with Beverly Johnson, just all these big ones. Anyway, so, and I remember when we were shooting there, uh, we wound up doing the, the catalogs, but then, then after that, that division left and the advertising division came in. Here I was already burnt out from being <laughs> there. How long can you stay in a luxury hotel? Mm-hmm. I remember Thanksgiving, over Thanksgiving, we're doing it and uh, and the hotel wanted to accommodate us, said they wanted to give us a Thanksgiving dinner, said they wanted to give us sweet potatoes and made potatoes and put sugar on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, but it, it was really, it was great and it was uh, special. So they would change the models, the crew and everything. And so it was, it was really great. But while I was doing that, I was also doing a- advertising, whether it was doing a lot of studio work now, whether it was beauty or fashion or um, or cigarettes or uh, liquor ads um, just everything everything from from even using my landscapes for the uh, things I was really proud of like um, Robert Frost complete book of poetry a cover one of my landscapes for that or things mm-hmm. that I really you know thought were really important mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so there's so many different experiences, and then uh, because of my By the Sea book, I wound up actually suddenly because of my By the Sea book and the, the style of it, not the location of it, I wound up doing a campaign for um, for Wrangler jeans, and only because they wanted that look. Mm-hmm. And it took me through a number of years of doing Wrangler jean ads to different rodeos and different things. Um, with uh, all these cowboy rodeo stores, singing stores, Nashville, uh, George Strait, everybody from the Dolly Park, everyone. Oh wow, I'll have uh, to look those up, we'll have to find those. Oh, it was just, <laughs> it was amazing. And it put me in places that I, you know, would not normally go. So that evolved in my doing my American Mood book. Mm-hmm. Because I would go out and do my still eyes and landscapes and, and then um, rodeo people, Americana and everything else. And even some of the pictures in my natural beauty book are some of the, uh, like the running horses I have is from a shooting in the Camargue in the south of France with all these big models. And I said, Look, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna take this picture. There's a beautiful running horses behind me. And I pick up the camera and I remember we spent a month in, for the uh, French tourist board. It was with Jordan Marsh and, um, and actually Thomas Small was, was the creative director. And we had all these great models, Carrie Otis and, and Linda Evangelista, and I just, um, anyway, and we just shot all over. We even stayed at the Ritz Hotel in Paris for 10 days, mm-hmm. they put us up. And then in Camargue, I, I took these pictures, and, and after getting a full advertising rate and doing that for the whole month, the one picture, and this is what really helped me more than anything else with my career going forward, is while my fellow fashion photographers that were doing well, 
my peers or whatever, they they would just do their commercial work. That was it. I, that's when I would shoot so many of my other things. So much of my By the Sea book was shot while I was on location uh, doing something else. Mm -hmm. Well, we had the, um, on a private ranch in Camargue, because I've been to Camargue before, uh, just exploring, I never saw any wild horses. But then when we arranged it with the French tourist board, we went on a private ranch and we had the horses and the wranglers behind you know, running the horses back and forth behind the girls. Mm -hmm. So even when I was shooting that, I said, fuck this, I'm picking <laughs> up my camera and shooting it. And I went up shooting just the horses and shooting the horses. I made more from print sales from the horses than I made for, uh, and it's and I'm still selling, for, from the whole month of advertising in, in France. Um, so, but that continues. And then that, that was horses, the running horses are my natural beauty book. Uh, which also has news, delays, landscapes, and I can point out so many of them that are from different shootings, mm -hmm. as well as from the By the Sea, or the Moods book, or, um, or the American Mood book, or any of these other ones. So, so all of these uh, things kept me alive in doing you know, other things, and then I got asked to do a show for my By the Sea images in, in Japan, in Tokyo, and I was into my you know, I wasn't into going after it as far as my uh, uh, fine artwork, you know, but I just let it happen. So the show I had in Japan was really, I was so surprised, it was huge. I, they even gave me a guarantee that, you know, it come there and guarantee you. And there, the big shows are in public spaces. And then the Ginza was this big department store. It was like a Bloomingdale's or Macy's called the Hanku. Mm -hmm. and, and I go there and hanging from the side, you can see it on my website, from the side of the building is my name in Japanese and in English and, and in this uh, Asahi newspaper like the New York Times there, um, these things for about my thing with the interviews and, and all, and it's, well, and, and, and they took me into the subways and they had banners for me there. Said, this is great, I, you know. <laughs> um, so then I got back home to do more of my uh, commercial work and then I was doing these different commercial assignments and because of my more mood type of things, I had a great literary agent at the time. She, um, she also represented another photographer, Scavulo. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's funny because I knew Scavulo, his studio was around the corner from uh, my studio at a different point. But I knew him because another thing I got asked is to do something, there was a cosmetic company at the time called Francis Denny um, cosmetics and he was shooting an ad campaign and they asked um, and they had three people um, the, what these men know about beauty and they had one uh, one ad of me one mm -hmm. of Arthur Ashe tennis, tennis player, player of course and the other Robert Evans who Paramount Pictures <laughs> president who did The Godfather and produced all these great mm -hmm. movies and so forth. And so Scavula shot the, you know, the ads for it. So I get it, get involved in all these unusual things in all these directions. And, and I, so I didn't know, I just went with the flow. I didn't know what was hitting me or what I was <laughs> doing. Uh, and then, you know, you get into a little more of a frivolous lifestyle because you're making some great money and you're young and everything. And um, which was no complaints, it was fine. And, and I wound up, doing things for ABC. I was doing a lot of 
My agent, uh, Harvey Kahn at the time, which actually uh, represented Jerry Schatzberg, who I, I loved your interview with him, and I admire mm -hmm. his Al Pacino and his movies and everything he's done. Um, and anyway, so my agent at the time started me getting involved in some movie advertising, movie posters, of which is funny, I just, I just saw the other day a movie poster that I shot, I forgot all about it from years ago, it was Bloodline, Sidney Sheldon's Bloodline. The movie had Audrey Hepburn in it and Omar Sharif and mm -hmm. these. And it was, uh, and, it, and I followed, I saw it and wound up seeing it on Wikipedia. And um, with that, I said, oh, I forgot that. I forgot all, you know, and I see these things. And I'm not a celebrity photographer, but I wound up over the years photographing so many celebrities because of doing movie advertising. And then for ABC, ABC started using me to do either movies of the week and there's uh, all their different talents and then I wound up directing too and getting doing commercials for them for, for all their uh, soap operas and then onto other commercial things. For um, ABC I wound up doing these great shootings and I shot actually in Spain they sent me to Ava Gardner and Omar Sharif in a, in a movie there and then another one with Richard Chamberlain, who was always on TV yeah. movies and everything. I did George C. Scott. I did so many. Uh, and these photos would then be used for what? What did ABC? Well, use the publicity. Well, like with Farrah Fawcett, who mm -hmm. was doing a movie about the uh, Nazi hunter, the Anna mm -hmm. Klarsfeld story, and it, they ran it as full page ads in Time magazine, different things. We set up scenes that didn't uh, that that captured the essence of what the film was mm -hmm. about, but didn't exist in the film. So when they would do it, and they hired me to do it, they would, because they're used to having a, um, a unit photographer there all the time shooting, so they had to kind of build it up to them that we're sending a, pardon this, a special photographer to do the ads for it. So they send some of my books ahead of time and all these things, so you get treated with a little respect there. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what, I tell you, I, there were some really great, the bigger the actors are, the better they are, but I don't want to mention any names, but I had some work with some really asshole famous actors, and then I worked with some that were so sweet and so nice. I mean, I used to have to, I used to have to say to them that if you're gonna, you know, um, more people are gonna see this and are gonna see the movie, and this is, this is the, the image that helps sell the film. You know, you try everything else, to get their attention. Mm -hmm. Like I used to, uh, I used, to, and by the way, I had a, developed a great friendship with a, a creative director who was great advertising at the time uh, named Bob Griffin. And, um, and we used to go all over the world with it. Oh, I could tell you about shootings and location things. And I, I mean, there's so many stories, so many things that were fun and crazy and everything else. And so many times when you turn to the client and said, you don't have to pay me. <laughs> this is great, and that happened to me with Kristen Dior, shooting in in um, in with the hot air balloons and Bombard Society in, in Burgundy in France. You know these shootings were really great. One time, I remember we shot we were, we were shooting one of the scenes with um, they're supposed to be uh, with, was it the one with the Omar Sharif and and the woman was being going to be kidnapped or something in the desert and well we couldn't get that scene in we we're in Spain so they asked us to recreate it somewhere here and and we actually booked 
stunt people because it was with horses in the desert on the sand dunes, and we found sand dunes in Cape Cod. <laughs> and so instead of shooting in Sevilla or where we were shooting in Spain, the other part of it, we were going to do it there. And at the last minute, they just pulled the plug and said, no, we're not going to shoot it and cancel it. Everybody got paid the full thing. We had a private plane standing by to take us there. We had the, the horses and the stump up, but an executive at ABC pulled it and said, let's not do it. So wound up doing it. But not directly because of that, but I did another shooting with them. Uh, and the shooting was in Africa. In order to do it, I remember the Paulist Brothers, the Catholic production company, that all did all these great, this was about the uh, famine in, in Ethiopia. Mm. It was with Ted Danson and Ali Sheedy and um, different people we shot in Africa. And I did some of my African landscapes. Before that, uh, we did a little photo safari. We said we need some background pictures. But in order to get there, I said to the client, I said, um, and I always used to say, look, you have to, I'm not staying, I'm saying a certain accommodations after a while, like, you know, I wasn't snotty about it. And, and you know, and I don't want to go, you don't want to go first class. Anyway, I said, in order to, um, to go there, I was only taking myself and my assistant uh, and a creative director were going. And I said, but in order to get there on time and everything else, we wound up, to make a long story short, taking the Concorde to London and from London to Nairobi, on, you know, first class on British Airways. So with my assistant on the Concorde, which I wound up in that situation a number of times with clients I wound up four times on the, on the Concorde. Oh. One time we were shooting in uh, a fashion shooting in London and I said, I can't do it because um, my son Blake, who's my youngest, uh, Judith, my wife was gonna be, um, was pregnant and she was due. And I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it because of, um, uh, she's pregnant and that baby is, you know, they said, I'll tell you what, we'll fly you back on the Concorde if you do the shooting. As I said, okay, I'll do it. So they flew me back on a Concorde and it's funny, but that small plane, who did I sit right next to on a plane but Eileen Ford? Oh, wow. Yeah. So the trip, she's always saying, why are you always doing these nudes? You know, why are you doing... <laughs> she was really nice and she was really nice to me in the beginning when I was first starting. Well, I wound up coming back, and I think it was three three weeks later that Blake was born. <laughs> it, it wasn't right away. It sounds like you were so incredibly busy for so many years. How how easy was it to balance family and work? Oh, I had no problem with it, and yeah. that's what the complaint of my of Judith, my wife, was. <laughs> uh, early on, when we were just going out on some trips, she used to travel with me, but mm. you know, she wanted to have children so my first son Devin was born and um, and so I have three boys from my two different marriages Lee my oldest uh, Devin next with Judith and Blake is the youngest and they're all in Devin's a painter and Blake is doing great with his directing um, music videos commercials and now he's trying to get this feature together and Lee one, he went to USC film school and got an Emmy right out of USC, but that was for TV, but he's been involved with film and TV, producing, writing, mostly comedy writing too, mm -hmm. and directing. 
it was difficult, but they knew what I did, and I did it from the beginning. It was more difficult than my first marriage, because that's not what I did when I first got married. Mm -hmm. And also, with all the models and shooting nudes, and my kids grew up with, you know, nudes in, in the house, fine art nudes, mm -hmm. uh, which leads me to another thing. But before I tell you that, there was another incident that happened. It was supposed to ABC. I just wanted to tell you something. I remember... Uh, I was doing so much work for them, and you know, uh, ABC got bought out by Capital Cities, was the new company that took over ABC. And I get a call from one of the executives at ABC, and they said to me, um, it, he was friendly with me, and he actually asked me at one point, he said, what I'd love you to do, I'm sending you a book, and he gave me this book of all the celebrities that were under contract, and all the main people, anchors, and everything with ABC and we want you to do their portraits. It was a big project. And um, and so I was gonna I was gonna do it and then um, then all of a sudden I wasn't gonna do it because that's when Annie Leibovitz was just kicking in and it gave her to do mm -hmm. that. But I continued doing my other things but this executive said said to me, if you look in this week's Business Week magazine, there's a reproduction of your uh, uh, of your invoice to ABC as an example of frivolous spending. <laughs> it was really, it's funny. I, they took my name off, you know. But <laughs> I was going to say, wow. Yeah, cool. And, you know, it was, you know, it was a great time with all of these things. And, and then because of my Buy the Sea book, aside from Wrangler Jeans, I got asked to do a whole campaign for Cunard for a good number of years all over the world doing these great shootings from the Amazon to the Mediterranean to all of these shootings that I used to go out on a deck in the Mediterranean or out on the sea and look, say, look at this, um, you know, the work. Plus, I've always appreciated everything I've done. You know, after a while you get burnt out from it. I remember like, like with Sachs, with um, editorial was easier, but editorial was a real complete creative process. And so I, I wound up doing all these things, but what, like I was saying with some of the the big shootings with lots of wardrobe when you're going to stay there, like with sex, we'll go into a hotel or when we check in, you know, the feeling is everybody's at resorts to relax and enjoy, but you're there to work. And I used to look at these racks of clothes, racks and racks of clothes, and say, wow, I have to get through all of these before I'd be finished. You know, and you looked at it, and it was really something to burn out on. Mm -hmm. And it was taking up a lot of my time when I got offered so many other things to do. But my studio was great. I had a beautiful studio. It was 4,000 square feet. I had a daylight studio. This Now it was on 30, uh, 31st. Anyway, so I had a really great studio and had multiple shootings going on these th and the phone ringing and doing this and the press things. And then, and, and my literary agent calls once at the one day and Jackie Onassis is interested in your work and she wants to know what you're, what you're up what you're doing. I go into Double Day and I remember bringing my slide tray and we went into a little projection room in there, you know, she was so nice and cordial and it was really great, you know, meeting her. I was, you know, impressed Jackie Onassis, you know. And even it's funny because uh, Judith, my wife, in a way she'd be the way my father was with her attitude towards my work or how well I was doing. And it's funny because I want to tell you, which is an interesting personal touch. Um, 
when I told you I was on the Today Show, my father never was happy with what I was doing because I should have gotten into the family business, but he wound up in the hospital, this was in 78. He wound up in the hospital when the book just came out and I was on the Today Show and I went to see him and he saw it and he said, well, I guess, you know, I guess you've made it. You know, with that, it was kind of good closure because sadly he just never got into the hospital. Now here I am dealing with, um, you know, with other things and accomplishments that I, that I have. So I'm, you know, always thinking back and it's always been an inspiration to do well as far as satisfying my father's not there. And so even with the Jacqueline Nonassis, it was really, it was great. I mean, you know, I looked at her and sitting really close to her, I remember exactly what she's wearing with this houndstooth uh, skirt, black little patent pumps or whatever you call it like a black cashmere sweater, I remember, you know, and she had some pearls on, a black patent bag, and she looks at, I had these pictures of the Riviera around, of these painterly looking pictures around, mostly around the Mediterranean. And she and she, I remember she said, why don't we, why don't we do a book um, called By the Sea and take pictures of New England, the coast, can't you just smell the corn on the cob and the lobster and, you know? So I said, okay. So I got a great contract with them. And it's funny, I've, I've always done well with my books. And I, in those days, they gave you advances. The Double Day was a really great advance. Early on, which is really amazing because the way the book industry, before the Amazon, before no bookstores or whatever, I remember with my Farber News book. Mm -hmm. The first printing of the Farber News book in 1983 was 70,000 copies, which, wow, Akfa Film Company, who had a contract with the time, actually, they bought a thousand of them to, um, to give out as gifts. And I remember when I went into their corporate headquarters, they wanted me to sign them. And a, a thousand books really piled up there. So. I did that and did other limited edition portfolios for them, did other things for them. But they also then came out with a, a, a special cheap version of the book, which wasn't part of that printing I mentioned. If you buy four rolls of film, you get this book for $5 or so. Mm -hmm. It was some kind of promotion they have uh, with that. So they were always very supportive. But aside from that special printing of it, the 70,000 printing of the first thing, that was, it was in a, um, a book a month, Playboy's Book of the Month Club, and then, and then it was in other things, and, and the book went into good number of printings, and, and it's funny because the fashion photography book early on that I told you about wound up doing really great, and so with that, they reprinted my Image as a Woman book, and then that book just had five printings and revised and hardcover, softcover, then the fashion book did, and then the fashion photographer book did also, and then uh, the... Um, the Farber News uh, Moods book wasn't didn't do that great. Terrible printing. I hated the book, but I loved it. What's in there, but terrible reproduction, crappy everything else. Later on, the books I did with Merrill Publishing was great, with the Natural Beauty Farber News book mm -hmm. and and the American Mood book. But I loved the American Mood book because that book or even By the Sea. I don't have to answer to models or anything. I just go out by myself, shoot what I want, and do. Those are my favorite way of working. But all of these books and winding up working with, whether it's Farrah Fawcett or other actors and doing, going on all these movie sets, led me to 
Well, maybe I, uh, when I was doing this campaign for Paco Rabanne with a man on a telephone, mm, sexy yeah, talk. Yeah, I've seen them, yeah. And uh, it was a great campaign which they gave me credit on and I had some really amazing story it led to some interesting thing that happened to me. I said, wow, what a movie script this is. And it led me to some big Hollywood agent, which wound up because of this and because of all the things I've done in film or working with the actors or wanting to get into film mm -hmm. or doing it. I wound up doing commercials and uh, wound up doing long form, doing a, series, a story, an hour-long thing with Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> when he was on a cover of People magazine and he was hot at the time, and it was Fabio, uh, romance, a time for romance, and would great. And it was, but it was it shot to look like your your sort yeah, of, your I shot sort of soft same, focus, mm -hmm. your yeah, everything. Wow. I even did. I'm sure that was amazing with Fabio. It it, it really was. I'd love to see that Fabio thing. <laughs> yeah, you could probably even look at. I have I have excerpts from it. We did. I was a few days, five days of shooting. I used great DP Fred Schuler, who I used on. A, Rothman tobacco campaign I did, but, um, but he did a, a couple of Scorsese movies, King of Comedy, mm -hmm. um, he, uh, uh, he, he was really uh, a really great uh, DP, uh, because I was, some of the film I was trying to shoot my own things, but I needed um, a director of photography to do it. But I wound up doing long form and doing these things, so I wound up getting signed by the Gersh Agency in LA for directing. And it took a year out of my life because they got me a, f a feature to do mm -hmm. and, um, and other possible projects. And a man named Robert Lippman, who uh, was responsible for uh, a bunch of films. He had since died. He was the head of Paramount Pictures in London at one time, but he was a big Hollywood Asian. And when around did you try and get into um, movies? Well, this was in the... 90s, okay. you know, it was probably 92-ish around, but even there started evolving into it more and more. Uh, and I was introduced, first I thought I was going to get something really big, but they wanted to do a remake of the Bridge of Bordeaux film. Oh, I forgot the name of the film. And they thought I'd be a good candidate to do it. And I got offered these different things and it just didn't go anywhere. But then I got put with the script and we did rewrites and pay and play offers and I spent a year doing this and it took it away from everything else I was doing my concentration was on that and I said no I'm not getting anywhere with this and I just stepped back from it uh, but at the time and I'm trying to think of my time frame I was I started a little production company doing my commercials and and we were also doing some of the long form things too I even did things under a different name and Playboy asked me to do a couple of things and I did it under a different name. And then film I Film things or commercial? Film. Oh. Yeah, to do some film I did. Well, first thing they asked me as far as directing was to do a Playmate of the Year, Marina Corwin. And I guess really great things, but I made her look like, um, I, well, when they said to do it, I said, I don't want to do your, your typical blonde playboy girls. I want to do something more sophisticated. And I did, and I, really, I was really happy with what I did. And then I had a Playboy Entertainment Group in LA. He said, I gotta show this to Hefner myself. He said, this is really great. It takes a whole new direction. I really love this. And I didn't hear from him after he did that. I call him, I said, what happened? He hated it. He absolutely hated it. 
He said, that's not our girl next door. That's not us. So with that, I said, fuck it. I'm not going to, I don't want to do that with them anymore, you know. But I had a really great guy <coughs> took over the head of the Playboy group, uh, Saul Wiesel, and he was really great. And he said, oh, please do some other things for us. And he did, so I did for their European television, mm -hmm. his New York memoirs. We did these other things. Uh, I got some really good things, but, um, you know, I figured I'd just do it because... And then they asked me to do a feature film with them. So I said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not putting my name on it. You know, the acting, the story was already done and everything else. So I did it for, because it took 12 days of shooting, two Super 16 cameras, uh, 60 men, uh, people crew. So it was a good experience to do What was do it called? It, it, well, stolen sex tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so... And we remember we shot through the night, I remember, oh, and one time, all of a sudden, out of blue, we were in, uh, shooting in L.A., I wound up getting, um, having to have a root canal. I was in so much pain. Okay. Uh, but I just want to cut back to something else that reminds me, because under a different name, when I was really starting and my first book came out, Im Images of Women, uh, because of that book, I started getting asked from these different men's magazines like um, the Paul Raymond group out of the UK. Who yeah, did the club, club magazine. Yeah, club magazine, these different men's magazines. And so, would you do this shooting for us? And I said, no, I can't, this book just came out, I can't, I'm not doing it. He said, well, we'll pay you, we'll pay you cash, COD on delivery. You know, uh, so I, he said, oh, we'll put you under a different name. And they gave me the name of Rupert Danes. So I wound up doing a whole series of different things under Rupert Gaines. That, and by the way, at the same time, when the Images of Women book came out, Hustler magazine was really taking off and popular. Sleazy new magazine with Larry Flint, mm -hmm. uh, who wound up, by the way, being my cross-the-street neighbor when I bought a house in L.A. when I was making good money that I bought from Ricardo Montalban that was on the cover <laughs> Architectural Digest. Oh, wow. And I wound up buying this house from him, and it was right across the street. Actually, it was, I think it was then that his wife died in the hot tub there or something. But anyway, so Larry Flint, with the Image of Women book, did, when the book came out, he said, he did, he did a, um, a, a review of the book himself. His review was, artsy fartsy, show me the pink. That's what his review was. And um, uh, anyway, so th th what I'm saying with this story, about a year and a half, two years ago, I got asked to do a show in the, uh, with my news, but they wanted to do an edgy show because um, some of the news they wanted me to do is more provocative. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it along with the Freeze Art Fair at the time in April, beginning of May and it was unseen, um, uh, unseen midnight studio combination things. And the idea of it was um, they would do this, all these images that I never, as a matter of fact, if you go to my website, uh, you could see, which is, anyone's in farber.com, and if you go under collections, there's something under uh, pseudonym, mm -hmm. uh, you could see things that I did under a different name, 
And uh, there's one image that I absolutely love that I just, so some of these images I'm just releasing now because now as you'll see what I wrote in, in there is now I'm, you know, it's okay, I don't care. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I already have, I am what I am. And I have all these great images from that that I released, but I never had a show that got such great critical and artistic things and the thing with the freeze fair and, and all of these things. So I, those images are great. Now with the work I'm doing with my nudes, I'm working on this project, Midnight Studio. It's, uh, they don't have to set things up or do anything. You just have a couple of drinks and when midnight comes, you take out a camera and you do some shooting <laughs> and um, you know and and uh, I love what I'm doing that way I have to keep going and keep reinventing myself for my own purpose mm -hmm. for my own enjoyment and you know inspiration so uh, and I got and I get involved in so many different things and because of my fine art news in 94 I got asked to do a, a cover for Newsweek for breast cancer and it's a nude on that, and that started me uh, getting involved with uh, breast cancer. And in my in the show I had, I did a donation for with Evelyn Lauder was just getting her, uh, the uh, Breast Cancer Research Foundation going. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a show and made a really great donation to breast cancer from that. And I had a show more recently uh, in Florence in Italy um, with breast cancer, but it was a different organization was the Dragon Boat Races, and we had an exhibition of my nudes. So I've been doing this shows, Art Meets Humanity, of my nudes and along with breast cancer, which now evolved to something new that we're doing, and it's called Women as Art. And uh, that's, we haven't really officially released it yet, but it's on my website in that press and media area. And you can see with this morphing of, of an evolution of a career, um, you know, like 50 years of an evolving vision where you see how the conceptual um, comes from other things from my classic fashion. Because what happened is um, I wound up exploring some of my old classic fashion with some famous models and situations and, and because they were stored in not a, archival sleeves that slides or transparencies, mm -hmm. they started deteriorating. And I have this new work called the Deterioration Series. And I started, when I first looked at it, I looked at it and said, oh shit, these things are really gone, you know. And I followed them over a course of a number of years. And then about four or five years ago, I looked at them closer and I said, wait a minute, look at this picture of Carol Alter, look at these pictures of, of Beverly Johnson or any of these, Catherine Oxenborg and all of these, that, and, the way they're deteriorating looks like something you couldn't do other than create something in Photoshop. Uh, but how were they stored that this happened? To they them? were in the regular vinyl um. sleeves that weren't archival. So when I got to that point where they really looked great and the condensation had developed mm. them, I took them out. I scanned them. Uh, you know, we scanned them and put them in our stored them again in archival sleeves, and we have this whole new release called um, the Deterioration Series. And, and we showed them in Paris for the first time and then um, in New York with Art Miami and, uh, and uh, the art fairs. And, and then um, and when we were at Paris Photo with it, well, as soon as uh, 
a great publisher, 21st Editions, when they first saw these, they said, oh, this would be great. And they put out a limited edition $18,000 book with these images. Um, I mean, they're the, beautiful because you get a sense of the face and the person, but it looks it does look like it was photoshopped well, or watercolor painted or something, you know? And it's a story behind them, and they're not photoshopped. They're not yeah. touched exactly as they are. So metaphorically, it's just, you know, it's like a metaphor for, for the, us uh, yeah. deteriorating. <clears throat> and so it's been, you know... Real, so they came out with that beautiful book, and then, and that Paris photo, Carl Lagerfeld did a, um, uh, a curated the show, chose his favorite images, and they put it in, in a book by Stalt, and and it's and they put it on the first page of the book what he chose for one of those, and then that I had a show in uh, at Plaza de Vosges in Mark Hotchman Gallery that same week, and that was the first really showing of those and. So we kind of uh, haven't completely released them yet, but we mm-hmm. are. And then that, along with a new thing called the Wet Series, which is, happens because of a flood that I have. And what happened with that, these are really interesting too, in a different way. The flood created certain things that I had. I remember uh, these pictures I did of Gia, one of them uh, that was in the in the flood got all crinkled out and when it dried off I looked at it I shaped it and everything else from like a print or a a print it was a print I said wow this looks really great which gave me an idea to do something with myself that myself were one of a kind to um but aside from that what happened is I had these non-archival prints that were done with just a little desktop printer of about a hundred or so different little photographs that we use that were just really catalogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use as a catalog of inventory is with the prints. And those little prints that were in archival, the inks bled, and they stuck to each other, and they bled into each other in all these different forms. And we wound up pulling them out, drying them, drying them out, and then scanned them on a flatbed scanner. And I have this whole other series now called the Wet Series. And it's like art meets misfortune in that one. Well, I mean, I think one, it's finding the art in it, misfortune, it, right? And well, it, that maybe that's the challenge or find. Well, it's. A way I mean, of, I think some people would be devastated and throw everything out instead. No, of, I was excited. I was yeah, devastated no, with the deterioration. Yeah, that's. Now I was getting excited. I said, "Well, this is really great," and it made me get into some other things where I started taking prints and shaping them and mm-hmm. sculpturing them into. So basically, what I so I wound up doing is wound up going into more conceptual type of things, and it brought me to a another direction with the deterioration. With the uh, wet series, it's like the evolution and the way things evolved in my vision, and I know after a while my beautiful. Uh, sorry for me saying my beautiful pictures of nudes or still eyes or landscape whatever or my beer or Americana well they're great and they satisfy me photographically but now it's satisfying a whole new uh, conceptual end of me or um, or reimagined type of thing so the idea of woman as art is taking the whole um, uh, Women series of what I've done and not doing my New York scenes, not doing the other Americana, whatever it is I'd love to be able to do, but 
now it's occupying my mind to the, you know, uh, the evolving of a vision over many years and how it goes from from beauty into <clears throat> nudes from from fashion into the deterioration from the uh, uh, deterioration into the uh, wet series and so we show it if you look at on the website we're going to create a whole exhibition with this as a retrospective mm-hmm. and I'm doing it along with Breast Cancer Partnership and doing it internationally with the gallery I'm involved in Sao Paulo and uh, and in Paris and in New York and wherever you know and it's just in the planning stage now but if you look at that video of the exhibition you can see what I thought maybe you know we'll do let me morph these into each other and if you see the video it'll show you that but now I thought maybe I'm going to come out with some this is just me thinking out loud, but me creating as I'm thinking yeah. and, and seeing whatever pleases me creatively. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, I had fun doing it, but I hope it works. <laughs> so, uh, so we're doing individual video art of these slow, the morphing one that we're doing are really slow and it's almost watching paint dry from this Beverly Johnson picture going into this other, to this abstract and coming out of it, what's on the other side of it and so forth, and doing on these vertical 75 inch monitors like that. And so that's the idea of it. But you can see that as woman is art on my website. When I've looked through some of your books, especially I guess moods, but some of the other ones you talk a lot about you mentioned your pro- like process, the things you, you used, and it seems like you must have experimented a lot, right? With like the pushing the film and the different um, diffu- diffusion mm-hmm, things. Right. So it, feel, it sort of feels like you've always sort of experiment, been constantly experimenting with what you, to get new effects, you know? I, well, you know, it's funny, because it all stays within the same effect. Uh, because the same painterly look. Yeah. Even when digital started, digital was, didn't have a personality as film. It's too clean. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go with it right away, but I had a contract with Canon for a long time with their cameras. Now, I have a, now I'm promoting their large format printers. And, <clears throat> and I'm still involved in that kind of thing. But, um, but I had a hard time getting started with digital until I knew how to fuck up the picture technically to make it look like film a little bit Mm -hmm. but not do it in Photoshop Photoshop is something that I'm not about and I a photographer should be a photographer with that and then I'm you know and I work on different kinds of like papers what I print with uh, like Legion Moab paper I do this um, these variations like what I do with the uh, Fabergé big egg hunt Mm -hmm. when I was trying to do it from we got a special paper that looked like eggshells from uh, from Moab and I did it with that, with my fine art things, with the deterioration. I use a, like this juniper paper, uh, which is a little glossier, or I'll use the Entrada, which is more of a, or a Somerset, which is more of a watercolor kind of paper. That, so I try to stick to the same thing and the same look with it, and even experimenting with new ways to do it. So uh, this company approached me, Blazing Editions, that does these metal printing, and introduced me to the company that developed it, um, Chromalux. And they've gotten involved with me with some of the deterioration and the shows we've had with these big sublimation dye-infused prints. Uh, and I've had shows for them in Paris and in Brussels and in L.A. and New York. And, 
you know, it's been good because it, it works for me. You know, it works mm-hmm. for me. But it's funny, early on, I always got involved with different companies more because I was doing so many things, uh, you know, from the books to the commercial work that they asked me to get involved as far as promoting or helping to promote their products. And then in 1987, when I was first starting, the Photo Manufacturers Association, which is the big, the big trade shows for uh, Canon and Nikon and Kodak and Acfa and all the companies, I got an award of Photographer of the Year. And I didn't know why, but it's because of my involvement in all these different things. So I've always been, and maybe because of my background in um, not going to art school mm-hmm. and in marketing, I don't know if marketing is self, you know, I wound up being uh, pretty good at marketing. So I've always looked at unique ways to to get myself out there. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's been, a, you know, an interesting career. I even wound up in 1995, I thought, this internet is great. I have a good friend who's a photographer, Jeff Dunas, and he said, look at this, and he showed me the new internet. It was in 94. By 1995, I had a website and started a inter because of the lectures and these things. I wound up getting questions. People started sending emails when emails started. How do you do these? And I started a website called photoworkshop.com. And I had a, a publication for it called doubleexposure.com. It became the first a- educational photography website online and the largest. And Canon approached me because I had these different camera companies and film companies and Adobe and Apple, everybody was involved with in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, they became sponsors, even Epson at the time. Um, then wound up being just uh, Canon. And then Canon approached me and, um, and they said, look, we, we loved it through, uh, through your education, it's a great way to market. Uh, we want to create our own, to be honest with you. So they said, it's gonna take um, a year or two before we do it, but in the meantime, we want to make your site the official website for Canon for education. And it was photoworkshop.com slash Canon. And in all their camera boxes, all worldwide, their camera, their um, uh, their advertising, everything was photoworkshop.com slash Canon. Their executive cards, ads, magazine ads, all over, and the website grew tremendously. And here I was thrown into these other things and we had about 13 people working with us and, and doing it, but I was going in another direction, the direction I really didn't want to go in, so I wasn't really a good person to head it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, and the Canon, while we had the Canon, got approached by Jay Wiley, who did the Books of Dummies, Walt Webster's oh, yeah. Dictionary, the largest publisher of technical books and everything else, to do a series of photo workshop books and they're still out they're on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You'll still see them with different authors. And we wound up getting uh, all of these books out. And the website really uh, became large. And then Canon finally, four to five years after that, said, okay, our website's ready. It gave us six months and then we're out of it. And we went all into membership. And then 2008 came and, you know, the membership credit card 70% declined and I said fuck this I'm getting out of it I got to concentrate on my photography so whether it was film the internet photography art whatever it is now 
I do special assignments once in a while. If I get a commercial assignment that's really good for mm-hmm. myself and for the client and for my bank, <laughs> then I wind up, uh, you know, doing it. But other than that, my concentrations on my gallery work, my books, uh, lectures, or you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But it's really on my fine artwork and my limited edition, and that's where my energy is, is going now, you know. That's great. So interesting. I feel like there's such a thread of education through a lot of it because I feel like a lot of the books talk about like or educating people on what how to shoot in a certain degree, well, and then especially the fashion photographer teaching you all about that world, how to get into it, and then later on you have the website. It's interesting. Right. Well, well, the books like with the fashion. I the only reason I want to do the fashion or the only per so there's two purposes. One is a good way to get a portfolio of my work out there, mm-hmm. and um, and at the same time, it reached a general market audience because it was the glamour of the work and the famous models or whatever to see the shootings or how models are paid or how the shootings happen. Um, I had more things going on between those which I'm not even getting into now, but uh, so it, it was in that respect. Yes, and then. And then early on, the publisher said, do this thing, how did you do it, a little statement of that. Because I didn't have any really background or philosophy to talk about, I was kind of just starting. So they said, put just notes in and how you did it. And it wound up even with a more elaborate book or these other things, um, not with the, the 21st editions book, because that's just a snobby book of collector things, but, but also with the natural beauty book, they didn't want that, and yeah. it, but I said, you know what, I have these sponsors that I'm dealing with, and I know if you do it elegantly in the back in a small way, the people that want to know about it will see it, and it doesn't interfere with it, it's not a how-to book, it's a coffee table book. So I always wanted to put that information in, I think it's nice to share. People are curious, the ones that want, and as long as it doesn't get in the way of the aesthetics of the book, then... Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting it, you even just like when I was the last couple of days, like going back through some of your books just to, to prep. But and I haven't you know, been shooting in a long time, and it made me be like, oh, I really want to get out my film cameras and shoot oh, because, like, oh. the thing, like, the, you know, just reading about, like, oh, I shot it on this and pushed it to that, you know. Well, um, to inspire is very rewarding. And yeah. so many times people would come up to you over the years, the first thing they would say is, God, I, I didn't think you were that young, you know. And this is because my books came out early on, mm-hmm. you know. Now, of course, now it's later on, but <laughs> it, but there was one thing that weaved in my career through my whole life with everything. And it's a whole other interesting vein and an interesting story that goes on and on and it continues up until a week ago when Instagram uh, took oh, yeah. me off the website. I mean, I've been involved with the fine art news, and I've been involved with the breast cancer and raising money for it, and even I was on, I remember in 1983 when I was promoting my show on a Good Morning America show in Philadelphia, I was promoting the book, and who did they have on? But they had Gloria Steinem, and they had somebody else with, I forgot who it was, anyway. And the reason it had on, because that year, uh, Vanessa Williams mm. was in Playboy magazine after she was Miss America and they pulled her title so it was a controversial thing they had me on for the controversy and for that thing and I was just wanted to promote my book but Gloria Steinem said something to me that says 
it shows, his picture shows that he respects women. You know, and I've always had a nice thing with her, Onassis, whether my, when she passed away and my book of Farber News was in her estate auction, everything was elevated in price, it went for it. But the idea that it was there, when Robert Maplethorpe with the National Endowment of the Arts um, and, and the Jesse Holmes thing, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to pull the funding for Maplethorpe and all, the a ASMP, American Society of Magazine Photographers, or Media Photographers it was called at the time. So we'd like to use one of your news as a as an example to show the National Endowment of Arts good taste in nude photography. I wound up doing lectures from for Ogilvy and Mather and different advertising agencies of the nudes and advertising, you know, with that. So I've always had a, a nice thing with it. But even with the Fabergé Big Egg Hunt, when um, they had this great thing, it was great press I got from it, it was really good doing it. But because I had nudes on it, it went from the corner of being on Madison and 63rd Street outside to being in the Lowell Hotel lobby because I had nudes on him. Then everything was moved to a Rockefeller Center, around Rockefeller Center, if you remember, mm -hmm. with the big eggs there. So I went there, where's mine? They had it in the bar in Rockefeller Center because of the nudes. So I've always had, and then Facebook closed me down a few times, and of course Facebook still owned by Instagram, and Instagram removed my uh, my Account, link yeah. or whatever about a week and a half ago they disabled it and my things are in museums and collections and this whole credible thing and whatever and I I kind of watch their rules you know put little band-aids over wherever they don't want yeah. to see it maybe they don't like this my band-aids are bright red or yellow uh, <laughs> no, I'm um, but even this thing where one of my images that was with the moonscapes, the mm -hmm. rear ends like that. I put it up there and they they took it down. And I put it up again and I X'd it and that kind of thing. And they, I, they wound up closing the site. But that still, if you go to that Chinese photographer who was really good provocative photographer who committed suicide a year and a half ago, whatever, he's in a museum show in, in Paris and he has an image there that's exactly mine copied mm -hmm. and he copied other ones and actually I, I have something in a press and media area my website that shows it but my point is I've been fighting the conservative American mentality for years with this with uh, with nudes do you think it's gotten worse or do you think it's uh, I, I it hasn't gotten any better sure it hasn't. you know um, you know this the sophisticated more cultural people will understand it and and they know the difference from porn or good taste or whatever. Um, so uh, what can I do? But it makes life interesting. So it's an interesting challenge that continues. So if anyone's listening to this, call, write Instagram. Yeah. Tell them to go fuck off. <laughs> Did you complain? Oh yeah, yeah. I, um, as much as you complain yeah. to it. And it's a good business tool. I'm not that big into social media, but I, if I was, younger at this point in my career, I see the value in these things. I love being part of it. Yeah. And I was enjoying Instagram. You know, it's funny because as I tell you these things, there's so many ways and you know, stories and things mm -hmm. and directions to go. And you know, things that I shouldn't talk about, things I like to talk about. I mean, you've had a very busy life. It sounds like well, you were constantly on the go for a long time. You know, at this point, after a while, I try to avoid traveling so much 
now. I mean, not so when, like I turned down a, something in Italy this summer. I just didn't want to. Feel, I don't feel like dealing with it. It's like been there, done that. It's mm-hmm. like after a while, you feel like you've done everything. My point is, as far as you know, traveling, and, and then I'd have some clients. You know, like with Saks Fifth Avenue, after shooting in some place with furs, and it was a poor place. I think this, um, you, you know where people are, have flies around their head and they're begging for money and, and we're shooting Revion furs for, mm-hmm. for sacks. I, the next, they, they want to do something in India. And I said, no, nah, let's not go to India because I can't do that in that kind of environment, you know, where it's like a third world country yeah. type of thing. And on that trip, I remember, took them to Lanzarote, part of this, Spain, Canary mm-hmm. Islands. But after a while, the trips were just so much, you know, it was like amazing. But they were also places that you would never go, you know, yourself Mm -hmm. or would never be able to go yourself. And it was almost in the same way when I was shooting commercials and I was interested in doing film or feature films. I knew what the budgets were like, but some of the commercials I did, my God, if they had that kind of budget for the feature, that would be great, like the Rothman tobacco with the helicopters and all these, this before drones and in Monument Valley and these different, oh, yeah, I mean, I could skip around with ideas and things. And so I am, I'm appreciative of what I've done and, and, uh, and now I want to do what I want to do, you know. So, and if you know what that is, let me know. <laughs> Seems like it's art right now. Yeah, it it is something that satisfies me, and I just wanted to, you know, I hope it grows in value. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be, well, it's inevitable that it be worth more. I'll be worth more dead than alive, you know, if it if it grows. It's the way it usually goes. So I'm just trying to bring it to a level that I really financially appreciate it while I'm still around, and have the value to it for my family mm-hmm. you know um so so that's what, but i can't start thinking like that i'm i'm still young i was born on february 29th on leap year so i keep dividing <laughs> by four well, i mean it seems like you're very active and i think as long as you're like active and creating it keeps you young yes you're right it does keep me young and also the business that i've been in you know around models the models keep getting younger and you keep getting older you know, even uh, with fashion, when it when it first started, I remember my first real experience with that is going on a location, and we met in a hotel the first morning, and one girl had her mother with her, and she was like 17. It's hard to kind of relate, mm-hmm. but she really need that rapport with a mature mind or whatever. And with all of these um, models or so many, you know, so many beautiful girls, interesting or whatever, you see much deeper than beauty when you work with them so often. You're really able to separate and that surface thing, and people that have a quality to them and, and are really, um, they're really nice and have something to say and offer. And um, it's funny, I used to judge a model's character by not how they were to me, but how they treated my assistants. Mm. You know, when they were nice to my assistants, I, you know, I respected that. I think that's a pretty good judge of character. Yeah. Did you have a favorite model? 
Oh yeah, I, I had a lot of favorite models at different times because some of them would just make it easier, either by their 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 real beauty, make mm -hmm. it easier. It wasn't a challenge anyway. You're throwing that great. The other by the how they turn on in front of the camera and how they just really as soon as it, you know. And then, you know, and then experiences with dealing with different personalities, whether it was Gia with what she was going through. And in the beginning, I didn't know as much of what she was going through. And like somebody asked me recently, he said, uh, well, what did you think of Gia or whatever? And, you know, and I, and I said, well, I, I couldn't judge it like I do now because uh, her, her fame or understanding came out later on in, in years, so at that time, she was just some girl who was a little fucked up, you know, who was doing well, and she was a beautiful girl. But I, you know, I had a little problems with her, but I had other things that she was really nice and pleasant. I mean, you know, times that she would show up late, mm -hmm. or she just wouldn't be as cooperative. Janice Dickinson was great. She used to go in front of the camera and just really know how to soon as you got in front of the camera, you used to turn on like that. I remember Abalonia was another one like that. There's a, a lot of really <clears throat> good girls. And Beverly Johnson, a good rel I worked with her all over the place and, and I had a good relationship uh, with her. And it was pleasant. Some I was closer to and you know, others. Uh, I, Christy Brinkley, I worked with a bunch of times, but um, she was really very nice and really sweet. Uh, Carol Alt, I took her on her first location shooting. I remember she was 17. She was really beautiful. So it was good. And a lot of times it was on trips, so you have a lot of social time together. With, mm -hmm. uh, so, and some people, I, some models are really close with, or later on in life, I, you know, met each other again and then renewed things. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's all, it's nice memories. The thing that I think helped me in the very beginning of doing well was because I wasn't there like a lot of other guys were there to fuck around or to meet models or whatever. I was married and, uh, and I was just driven by my passion for photography and the art of it and falling into these with the models. My, my focus was different. When you said your passion for photography, it reminded me of how when you were, you were talking about when you were young, you were really passionate about painting. Once you figured out how to make painterly photographs, did you ever go back to painting at all? Yes, I, yeah, a good number of times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a matter of fact, what I'm doing now is trying to get more into the fine art, back to more of the fine art part of more um, unique kind of things, mm -hmm. or more conceptual, where it's you're not you're really counting on yourself to do it as opposed to another tool, mm. you know. Um, and that's what even sculpting the paper with the water and, or looking for these other things that, you know. Uh, so in a way, it's pushing me away from the photography or the beautiful image is, is nice, uh, but it's not, uh, it's not the thing that turns me on as much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I've been really, if I had the time in the room now, I, w I would um, start painting something. But also, with my son so into painting, I don't want to go there. Mm. 
What are you most proud of? Every time my kids do something, it gets me as excited as if I accomplish something. So I'm, a pr I'm proud of each one of their accomplishments. Every time they do it, Blake with his, for example, so now he's in India doing the Reebok commercial, but when he was on his way, he would stop over in Paris, he calls me and said, he just got confirmed on a shooting for Nike in China. So he's going from, from India to do the commercial for, uh, for Reebok, to do the commercial for Nike in India. So these kind of things make me proud. And my son, Lee, who is uh, based out of LA, just got this big assignment to do, and he's shooting in New York and here, and then, and then Devin sold uh, a painting for $7,000. And so that's what I'm most proud of. As far as I'm concerned, uh, for myself, I like to be content. I'm, you know, I, I want things to evolve and I want to do well. I want it to grow in value. But I, I, after a while, I get a little jaded of what me being proud of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm proud that I'm really happy at the point I am in my life. I wish, I mean, I've got spoiled financially with uh, doing so well early on. And when I was, you know, um, in the heart of my fashion photography days, I wound up with these three houses. I told you with the Ricardo Montalban one in LA, this big one, it was a former estate in Connecticut, the same time, a townhouse in New York off Fifth, off Fifth Avenue. And I was using, you know, like I was using car service and went for clients. So I wound up buying a, um, a car for myself, you know, with a driver. Mm that I had, not to be frivolous and all, but I was able to use it business-wise. They said, oh, now it's just not big enough. Then I wound up buying a stretch limousine. I said, wow, this is not my style, you know? And besides, with the house in Connecticut, when I go there for the weekend, and the driver is off on Sunday, so he's not gonna, or Saturday and Sunday. So I gotta drive the limousine up myself. So I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. Then the Bentley came out in, in the US, and I wound up trading in and getting a, a Bentley. And I said, what am I doing? doing? What is this stuff? And I look back at all of these frivolous things in this lifestyle and I, I, it didn't make me happy, but it, I look back and I said it was great that I was able to do that or do that. So, I mean, I'd like to have that kind of finances and everything going, you know, in my, in my older age, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm happy at the comp accomplishments that I've had and where I am. And I'm happy if I have, you know, good health. You've had an amazing, long, successful in both creativity and financial, you know, career is amazing. And a lot of people don't get that, you know. I know, I know, uh, believe me, I, I, um, I'm appreciative of it. You've managed to, I mean, especially with the books, put out these, like, lasting documents that so many people can come across your work, you know? Uh, yeah, and, and I appreciate that in the beginning because when I first, you know, was going to get a photography book. I met somebody who was an author, and I said, wow, that guy's an author. That's a, a book, you know. So in, it, you, after a while, you get, you get a little jaded, but, you know, but I just want to keep my life exciting, healthy, you know, and um, I have my issues and problems and things like everybody. I'm, I, look, you know, it's, it's really, what's really great is uh, you have challenge, new challenges. And some challenges get frustrating, like with the news that I was telling you about mm -hmm. and the cen uh, censorship. 
but yet interesting, but I don't want to knock myself out at it. And some challenges are really interesting because this woman has an art project to bring, I have people to help me to bring these things together, but it's almost like you have to do it yourself. Mm. And, I, and I like the, ex the experience of it. One thing that is frustrating, and I know it so well with so many, so many really successful people that I really admire, I'll tell somebody else, whether it's a younger generation, I said, you know whose work I love? For example, I'll say Arnold Newman or Horst or whatever. And I'll mention their name and they said, I don't know who that is. Or they'll say Horst, I don't know who that is. Oh, wow. And I said, wow. And then, uh, and then somebody introduces me to someone who's a potential something for me. And they say, oh, I don't know your work, you know. That's kind of, you know, that's frustrating because you have people that are fans and then you have people that don't know who you are. And it's almost like it's the way, even the way models got known or how supermodels mm -hmm. started. When you have, um, when the models stay in the fashion magazines, nobody knows who they are, but who they are. But when they go on Sports Illustrated, then you start getting the men and the fans that are not into fashion. They go on Time Magazine, you get the more of the general public and everything else. So when you stay within the realm of if, if it's art like that, if it's art and you stick a bullwhip up your ass like Robert Maplethorpe and get a whole thing with the National Endowment of Arts, all of a sudden they know who you are. Mm -hmm. But then you know, a lot of people that still don't know who you are. So it's almost like um, the things that build reputations or the things that make art a value or perceived value is um, such a uh, it's such a crazy it's such a crazy world how yeah. how that happens you know and you look at certain things you say this is that art but where did they get that value or how do they get you know that so those are the things that become frustrating well this is very nice and relaxing like you do and I love what you're doing and uh, you know yeah it's great to listen to. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for being so open with me. Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Robert Farber. Please head to our website to see images from throughout his career, videos, and a short article. We have many wonderful conversations coming up in the next few weeks with textile designers, artists, and writers. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at ladyworld.tv and on our newsletter. See you next week.